Here I am, Jesus, in the same place I have been before, and I cry to you, even though you've heard this cry before. And I crawl to your throne To the King of mercy The Prince of Peace The loving Savior Who died for me Now I, I am humble in your presence the love you show for eternity for eternity what amazing grace Jesus, my Lord, you set me free. I stand amazed as your love, it covers over me. And I crawl to your throne, to the King of mercy. The Prince of Peace, the loving Savior, who died for me, now I, I am humble in your presence, the love you show for eternity. The King of mercy, the Prince of peace, the love you show for eternity. Now I, I am humble in your presence, the love you show for eternity. For eternity It's been a long time since I've played in front. I was freaking nervous. <laughs> the reason I started with that song is that I wrote that song when I was in college. After a moment of just sheer desperation. Just the opening lines, here I am, Jesus, in the same place where I have been before. See, in my mind, when I think about spiritual transformation, I think about experiencing life change, I've always thought about it like a graph that goes up and to the right. And if I'm really honest, much of my Christian life, I felt like I've just been on a track going in a circle. Here I am again. Try hard, do good. Back, square one. Here I am again 
in the same place where I have been before. And I feel like all I'm doing is just crawling to your throne. This morning, as we continue in our series, Heart of Warriors and Poets, we want to talk about how do you truly experience life change? Like, like that verse, remember where it says that you've been created new. You know, as I've gotten a little bit older from my college days, one of the things, and maybe this is true for you, that has been so profoundly helpful for me, is that the spiritual journey in my process hasn't been a graph up and to the right and, you know, peaks and valleys and these sort of things, but you're closely getting more and more like Jesus, a little bit more and more to the person you become. What I've found is my life is doing this, and yet it's going up. Kind of like one of those spiral staircases. And yeah, you're coming around to the same thing again, but you're in a different spot. You've gone up just a little bit more. You're coming around to the same thing again, but you're in a different spot. You're making progress, but it's so hard when you feel like you're doing this, isn't it? This week, we're going to dive into Psalm 119. And as we're in process of becoming more like Jesus, as you're in process, and I'm in process of becoming a little bit more the person you were created to be, the person you long to be, that responds with the right attitude in that area, that responds with, the, with, with grace when you want to hurt someone. We want to look at what I believe is one of the critical missing ingredients for us today in this process of life change. That will allow you to not just be going around the track, but you might be going around the track, but you're actually going up the staircase. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Psalm 119? The authorship, it's anonymous. We don't know who wrote this. The genre, it's a wisdom psalm. Wisdom is simply the skill of living life well. Part of what makes this psalm unique, and many of you know this, is it's the longest psalm and or chapter in the Bible. 176 verses, and we're teaching all of them this morning line by line. Air conditioning, that's right. <laughs> the structure, it's an acrostic using the Hebrew alphabet. And so there's 22 stanzas, and each stanza begins with the first letter. Each sentence begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, and it's as if the psalm is saying the subject matter of this content, this is so good, is that I'm exhausting the human language. And the human language can't even contain what I'm trying to talk about. Filled with intentionality. And the theme. That he's exhausting. The theme which language cannot contain. 
God's law. In Hebrews, the Torah means teaching. It also means law. It can speak about the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It also speaks to the entirety of the teachings there. The author will use 10 different synonyms in regards to God's law. Something along the lines the way we use the Bible, although I don't know if you noticed this, but I've, I've, I've begun to notice that we call it the Bible, but it used to be called what? Anybody? The Holy Bible. You let that sink in for a second. See, sadly, we have a biblically illiterate generation in the church today. I sat with a group of young leaders not too long ago, and a buddy of mine was teaching, and it was just a small group of, of leaders, and he began to quote a story in 1 Samuel, and it's about this young boy Samuel who heard uh, from God, but he thought it was his, you know, instructor or mentor Eli calling him, and and all this leader friend of mine did was reference the story to make a point. But as I looked around at the young leaders, and this is kind of one of those, you know, if you grew up in Sunday school, which most people haven't anymore, uh, but if you grew up in Sunday school, you know this story. But I could tell none of them knew the story. And this isn't just any group. This is a group of great, young, passionate, Jesus-following leaders. But I do think it has something to do with us taking the holy out of the Bible. Because it's shifted from God's word to good advice. You know what happens when it's good advice? Take it or leave it. You know what happens with good advice? It, It means, hey, it's just advice. It's my thing. Or it's God things. In fact, what we've done is we've allowed political correctness to inform our understanding of God's word instead of God's word to inform our understanding of political correctness. And the theme is the Holy Bible or the scriptures or some say God's word. I remember there's a um, young man uh, who I had the joy of getting to lead to Christ. He had come to Awakening. We sat and had this conversation over burritos. And then as he's journeying with us, and he had never had any background in, uh, in Christianity, he'd never gone to church. It was a crisis in his faith. And he showed up, and he's like, one, as we're meeting regularly, he said, now, Ryan, you use the word scripture, and use the word Bible, and then God's word. Are these different books? <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry. And I think sometimes that's part of the reason why we have some biblical illiteracy, because we use Christian jargon, and for those who are brand new to it, they're afraid to ask. And even in our missional communities, we'll kind of quote things. In our communities, we'll say things, and, if, and you're afraid to like go like, well, I don't really get it, because you don't want to, nobody wants to feel dumb. Nobody wants to feel like, I don't know. And yet, so we go around pretending. And the psalmist 
opens and begins 119, the longest chapter and verse or uh, psalm in the Bible, this way. Blessed. Happy. I grew up in Santa Cruz, and so um, you might say stoked. <laughs> Are those whose ways or paths are blameless, who walk according to the law, the Torah of the Lord. Blessed, happy, stoked are those who keep his statues and seek him with all of their hearts. And then the psalmist is going to spend the rest of the time telling us why you're blessed, telling us why you're happy, Telling you why this is often one of the missing ingredients in life transformation in the believer. And I just want to take a few moments and give you five reasons why you're blessed when we begin to not just think this is a a good book, but this is God's word. And we allow his word to infiltrate our lives in such a way and do a transforming work in us. When we cooperate with the spirit of God and the word of God, it brings about a radically new life. And yes, you might be on that going around, but you're not just doing laps. You're making progress. God's Word. Listen to what it does for us. God's Word, next slide, is the path for purity or pathway to life of integrity. It's a path for purity or a pathway to life of integrity. Verse 9, the psalmist says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Like, this defines what's right and what's wrong. This defines what's true and what's untrue. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. C.S. Lewis said this, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried hard, very hard, to be good. As I wrote that song, I was just in a cycle. And I wasn't. I wasn't going upward, just going around. One of the things that transformed for me was when I actually took God's word seriously. And so I began to get three by five cards and write them out in the areas where I wanted to grow. And I wanted to get God's word in my heart. We just taught about spiritual warfare. What is the sword of the spirit, which is the... I wonder why we have so many defeated Christians. We don't have Christians who have the word of God hidden in their hearts. I just began to memorize scripture. And I still do that to to this day. I start the new year off and I have about five or six, three by five cards. They're actually four by six, but whatever. And I review them every day. See, meditation, that is thinking deeply on and consistently on, repeatedly on, is good for transformation. 
Me and a buddy right now, we're meditating on a psalm a week. We did Psalm 8. We're doing Psalm 15 next week where we're just reviewing it. We're just allowing our hearts to be um, just enamored with God's word, to allow his word sink richly and deeply in our lives. And Psalm 8 says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as I was running, I was up in Tahoe the last week, uh, the week before, and I, as I'm running, I'm looking at this beautiful landscape and the Psalms just coming to my mind because, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'm looking around like, yeah, yeah. How majestic is your name and how big you are and how small am I? And it goes on to say, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like you know me. See, meditations for transformation, memorizations for preparation, by the way. I'm a big believer in memorizing God's word getting it in our hearts so that the Spirit of God can bring it up in a crisis, in a moment of need, when you need the word of encouragement. When you're, you're stepping into a very intense situation and the proverb comes up in your mind, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Thank you, Jesus. I needed that in that moment because I'm ready to lay into them. The pathway So a life of integrity is found in God's word. Integrity, by the way, is one of the top five attributes for leaders and bosses. Consistently, everyone says, hey, we want a boss or a leader of integrity. Integrity, or purity, by the way, is what you want in your friends. Integrity and purity, by the way, is what you want in your coworkers. It's what you want in your key relationships. If you're dating someone, you hope they're a person of integrity and that they're not dating someone else behind your back. It's what you want in your marriage and ultimately it's what you need in your life. God's word. God's word is a pathway to a life of integrity. It's a path for purity. Secondly, God's word is a refuge for strength. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me how? Strengthen me how? Help me out. Yeah, I didn't have time to study that part. I appreciate you reading it to me. When we are weary, we often default to numbing activities instead of nourishing activities, don't we? I know for me, numbing activities, TV, eating out, having a drink, social media, It becomes our default. It does not strengthen us. It just numbs us. Nourishing activities like God's word, worship. I cannot tell you how many times I've started out discouraged and I put my headphones on and listening to worship, go for a run, and I come back encouraged and strengthened. I didn't want to go for that run. I want to sit and watch TV. God's word. It is a path for purity. It is a refuge for strength. Are you tired? Did you walk in this morning discouraged? Are you feeling overwhelmed? I wonder what would happen if you got into God's word. I mean, how many times have you read? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to ask. Don't answer that. Uh, But the Psalms, just get into the Psalms. Man, you will be encouraged and strengthened. God's word is a source of true freedom, by the way. 
Psalmist goes on, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. That is so counterintuitive, isn't it? I run in the path of your commands, your law. Immediately from a very American mindset, we think I run in the path of your restrictions. Don't restrict me. I want to be free. For you have set my heart free. Then he goes on, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Mm. Man, what a great prayer, by the way. Preserve my life according to your word. Right now I'm reading a book called Extreme Ownership. It's fascinating, really fun book uh, written by two Navy SEALs, uh, Jocko uh, Willick and Leif um, Babin. Uh, these two ex-Navy SEALs that are now business consultants uh, in it. And uh, I was listening to a podcast by Jocko as well. It's so funny. He has this phrase, discipline equals freedom. We long for freedom, but we actually don't understand what it takes to truly be free. He's saying, if you want to experience freedom... You just begin to live life the way God created life to be lived. And you will be the most free person on the planet. You want to be free from insecurity? Find your identity in Jesus. Tell you what, so many are enslaved to that right there. And you get that right, everything else begins to fall in place. And you're no longer worried about what he or she thinks about you. You're no longer reacting out of fear. Or you're no longer reacting out of this. You're just going, hello, child of God, living in his commands. You want to be free from worry. You just begin to trust that you have a God who is for you and bigger than any worry you have source of true freedom. In fact, have you ever seen just a a master musician? Like you ever, I mean, so one of my favorites right now, not right now, but for a long time, I want to go to this concert is Ed Sheeran. Anybody love Ed Sheeran? I love Ed Sheeran. Not like, you know what I mean. I love music. I grew up playing music. I'm really a drummer, not a guitarist, but like studied that. Um, One of the things I love about Ed Sheeran, he is up there by himself with a guitar and killing it. And I'm just, it's like unbelievable, unbelievable. You just watch him. You just go like, what? For that moment to happen, do you know how many hours of discipline preceded it? To be truly free as a musician, you have to learn and master music theory and work on your craft. See, discipline equals freedom. And when we begin to go to the author of life for our direction in life, you will experience true freedom. See, God's word, it's a path for purity. It's a pathway to the life of integrity, a refuge of strength, a source to true freedom, and it brings supernatural delight. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweet, not sour. See, if... If God's word really is a refuge for your strength, 
like you can find encouragement. You can find like the words you need in life. If it really is a pathway for you to live out life well, if you really are blessed, if you really are happier, if you're stoked, if it is the source of true freedom, then when you get into God's word and you allow God's word to get into you, it brings delight. It's sweet to the taste. Now, I'm going to close with why I think this is, we often look at this as being sour. But if we would just adjust our thinking about God's word, that the God of the universe who loves you and delights in you, who pursues you, who did not withhold his son for you, who's been chasing after you, who knows your name, knows how many hairs on your head, if he really did write a book, if this really is inspired, then when we get into it, It lifts our spirit, doesn't it? It lifts our soul. And you experience supernatural delight. Why? Because it brings life. It's a foundation that you're standing upon in a world that has no foundation. And then it provides divine direction for life. We have a whole culture looking for direction. Looking for, hey, what do I do next? Where do I go next? Who do I marry? <laughs> what career should I do? Should I change careers? Looking for divine direction. And this whole time, people have been carrying it in their pockets. This whole time, you've had it right here or maybe right here in your purse. For some in your back pocket, I wouldn't suggest that. It breaks the screen. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. You know, the interesting thing about a lamp, however, is it only gives enough light for what's just in front of you. We so often want the full picture from God. We want him to go, okay, so Ryan, you're going to get married, and then in 10 years, you're going to do this, and you're going to have three kids, and you're going to live here, and you're going to end up all the way down here. It provides divine direction, but it is a lamp unto your feet, and it shows, hey, here's the next step. Hey, here's the next step for your relationship. Here's the next step in this business deal. Here's the next step. 
and you begin to go, okay, what am I actually looking to for direction? What are the areas in your life that are so big that you don't want to screw them up? And yet what we do is we go to our friends and go, hey, what do you think? I don't know. We're going to try this out. Okay, cool. Should I marry her? Should I marry him? Does, does he love Jesus? Not really, but um, he sure is cute. God's word is a path for purity, a refuge and strength, a source for freedom, brings supernatural delight, and it provides you and I with divine direction. So I want to give you a quick application, and then I'm going to close this out here. My application is I'm going to challenge you this morning to spend 15 minutes a day in God's Word. Where you'd get into God's Word and you'd allow His Word to get into you. You got 15. I don't have 15. Take your commute. Play audio. For some, it's a three-by-five card. You do the same thing. You're like, I'll just tell you what I do. I'm not saying this is what everyone should do, but this is what I do in the mornings. I adjusted from time to time, but this is kind of my general. I wake up in the morning, have coffee because I need coffee. I cannot meet with God without coffee. I wish I could, but I cannot. I grab a cup of coffee. I get into a quiet space. And I start just with a journal. And I journal. I have a moleskin. Some of you are journalers. Some of you are not. It's not a, it's like, it's helpful for me. Some of you are like, it's not helpful. That's fine. That's okay. And I generally start my journal this way. Thank you, Lord, for. The discipline of giving thanks adjusts our perspective onto the greatness of God. And so I have to start daily there. And so thank you, God, for. And I just begin to lay it out. And sometimes it's so basic. Thank you, God, for this day. Because yesterday was brutal. So I'm just thanking you for a new day. I'm told your mercies are new every morning. Thank you. And then I go to my three by five cards in the back of my moleskin and I just review them. I have a card that just has certain areas. I pray over different areas. Like on Wednesday, I pray for this time because I'm spending the large chunk of Wednesday preparing for this time. On Mondays, I'm praying for our future building, a long-term location. On Tuesday, I'm praying for our staff and board. On on Thursday, uh, I'm praying for missional communities, everyone who's in a missional community and our protégés. On Saturday, and I skipped Friday because I forgot just now, but on Saturday, I pray for spiritual protection because I've often found that, man, do I experience spiritual warfare the day before we're going to gather together. And I just have a list of three by five cards of verses that I go through that my soul needs. My soul needs this year. And then I get into God's word. And I'm, again, for some, this might feel overwhelming. Just do one, just do one, just do one. And I just begin to read a chapter. Sometimes it's part of a chapter. Sometimes it's three or four chapters. 
And I just try to walk away with this. What is one thing, God, that you're wanting me to apply? What is one thing that you're wanting me to be attentive to? Like one of the powerful things about that Psalm 8, how majestic, O Lord, our Lord, you are. That, O Lord, our Lord. It was, I've been reading in Samuel about Saul, and Saul was continually going. He's the first king of Israel. He's continually going to Samuel to seek the Lord, and he would say it this way, the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. Would you pray to the Lord, your God? In Psalm 8, Psalm 8, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. And it's not your Lord, it's my Lord. And I have an intensely personal God that I need desperately today. And just that one little thing, I just allowed to wreck me, man. Just allowed to wreck me. It's wrecked me for about a week, if I'm honest. What's one thing that you need to apply? God, what's one thing that you want to be attentive? And here's what I want you to do. Take 15 minutes a day. If it's in the morning, if it's at night, if it's in the afternoon, it's during your lunchtime, set it on your phone. Get a reminder. God's word, God's word is a refuge for strength, a path for purity, a source for freedom, brings supernatural delight and provides divine direction. Why would we not? I was thinking about 176 verses all about God's law. I was like, how do you get to a point where you could write 176 verses talking all about the law of God and how you delight in it? Why is it that so many, probably not here, but so many in the church in America don't have this type of affection or devotion or desire? for God's word. I'd like to suggest, I think it's simply because of this. I think it's because we don't actually believe in the goodness of God. I mean, if we really believe God's good, if we really believe he's for us, if we really believe that he wants the very best for us, then we would run to his word. But I think many of us are probably where I was in that college dorm room, writing that song. For me, and even just how I grew up, and I grew up in a great home, but it was a process, I just always felt like I was disappointing God. I always felt like I never measured up. Instead of the goodness of God, I just never felt quite good enough. And so, to me, early on in my journey, this was a list of oughts and shoulds and to-dos instead of supernatural delight, simply because of my view of God. Last Sunday, um, I was hanging out with my boys before their 
their bedtime and had kind of a weird week. So we had Tahoe, had this wedding in Tahoe, came back for one day, and we had a great day. And then my dad had back surgery on Monday, and so I flew out Monday to go to L.A. to be with he and my mom uh, just to support them. and was thankful that I was able to do that. And so Sunday night, just a brief moment, uh, wanting to be intentional about bedtime with my kids. I lay down on the bed, and my two boys share a room, and I'm t- like, hey, do you want dad to tell a story? And they're like, yeah, you know, and they're all excited. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, what story am I going to tell? <laughs> you know? And so then I'm just trying to think through their ages, and my youngest, he's seven years old. And when I was seven, I actually lived in Texas in a rural town called Kaufman. And at seven years of age, uh, during the summertime, and if any of you know, like it rains in Texas, uh, and during the summer, it it doesn't here. We could use a little bit right now. It's um, hot, but we need rain. Uh, And so as as we're talking, I was telling a story about what it looked like uh, being a kid in Texas, and what we'd do is we'd go crawdad hunting. Anybody go crawdad hunting? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And my mom would give us raw bacon, we would tie it onto a string, and then there would be these like holes around into the ground, and we'd drop the... Um, the bacon down the hole, and then a crawdad would grab it with its crawl, we'd pull it up, and, and we'd catch these crawdads. I mean, they were huge. I mean, I was seven, so it was probably about this big. You know, that's how it felt, you know, and if it got you, oh man, it hurt so bad, and we'd catch these crawdads. And so I'm telling them this story, and and in it, I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm like, man, I, there seems to be some sort of spiritual connection to this, you know? And I, I'm trying to make some kind of spiritual connection. My youngest son says this. He turns to me in the middle of the story, and I love this. He says, yeah, Dad, it's kind of like God with us. Because I just explained how a crawl dad grabs onto this, and it could have got free at any time. But because it likes the bacon so much, it won't let go no matter what. And he says, it's like God with us. I'm like, I was going to go kind of negative, a little dark, but <laughs> that, that's good, son. And he said this, that God loves us so much that he won't ever let go of us. See, when we really get the Father's love, His Word becomes our great delight. We tend to think that somehow we're clinging onto God, don't we? And the reality is, is we're wrapped in the arms of love of God. And so as we close this morning, I just want to close with this, and I want to invite you to stand and worship with us. This is a quote from one of my good buddies. And he, he writes this. He says, Our hearts are easily adrift from God, which is why we need worship. For it is in worship we are reminded that his heart never drifted from us. Would you run to the God who's wrapped you up in his arms of love?